Welcome to worship at Edmonds United Methodist Church. No matter where you are on life's journey, no matter what you believe or doubt, no matter how much or how little you have, no matter your race, gender, or immigration status, and no matter whom you love, you are beloved, belong, and are welcome. We say these words every Sunday to remind ourselves that even though the world sometimes places limits on belovedness or worth, God doesn't. So friends, welcome. And welcome to Edmonds Methodist United Church. <laughs> Pastor Donna is ill today, and so nothing too serious. She doesn't have COVID, but she didn't feel like she could be here. And I'm also concerned for your health and safety. Didn't want to expose you to anything. So uh, I will be uh, assisting, and Marta will be here to assist. And we will also have a... Uh, guest preacher and assistant, and it's uh, the Reverend Curtis White. Curtis uh, grew up in the Edmonds area and uh, went off to seminary in the South, and he's a Presbyterian minister, and he now serves at uh, St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Macon, Georgia. And uh, here comes Curtis now. <laughs> Uh, Curtis is in town to, uh, to marry his brother, and so we were able to have him come in and assist today, so we very much appreciate that. If this is your first time, we welcome you, and there are little connect cards in your pews if you would like to sign that up and put it in the offering plate, and we'll have an opportunity to connect with you and get better acquainted. Okay. So, will you please rise in body or spirit for our opening worship? The morning has broken, like the first morning. And, and we can begin again. Blackbird has spoken, like the first bird. And we can begin again and again. Ours is the sunlight, ours is the morning. Born of the same light, Eden saw play. Praise the elation, praise this very morning, God's recreation. This new day, when we can begin again and again and again. Amen. As we gather on the ancestral lands of the Coast Salish people, let us reconcile our hearts toward God and one another through the passing of the peace. During the next few moments, if you are in the room, we invite you to share the peace of Christ with your neighbor in every way that is comfortable. And if you're at home, give somebody a hug or a wave, and we can wave now. Okay. So, the peace of Christ be always with you. And also with you.
that on the chair for the moment. Good morning. This is wonderful Ben, who is going to be helping with the children's sermon this morning. Uh, Since Pastor Donna is not feeling well, um, I'd like to ask all the kids, I see Harrison, come on up, all the kids to come up for um, children's time. We're going to be talking about making bread today. You want to sit down, honey? Come on. Yeah, you can sit down. What do you suppose? What do you suppose? Hi, sweetie, Phoebe and Daphne. Hi there. What do you suppose I have under here? You won't be able to guess. (laughs) Today we're going to talk about bread, two kinds of bread. What kind of bread do we use when we make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or grilled cheese? we use sandwich bread. And what is sandwich bread made out of? It fills our tummy, so we call that. Right, and it's going to, uh, tummy bread fills our tummy. And tummy bread is made out of flour and sugar and yeast and a few things like that. We mix it all up, put it in a bowl, bake it in the oven, and we have tummy bread. There's another kind of bread, it's called heart bread. It fills your heart. It's not made from flour. It's made from loving memories. Heart bread's not made in the oven. It's made in your heart. We're going to read a story about a girl named Rachel. And Rachel's grandmother taught her how to make heart bread. But while we're reading the story, I thought you might like to have a little taste of some tummy bread. Would you like to have some? Yeah. You can have a little snack while we're telling the rest of the story. Yeah, go ahead. Yep, it's Hawaiian bread. Okay, there you go. Okay, you can just have a little snack while we're telling the rest of the story. <clears throat> All right. Rachel's, no, just about, Rachel's grandmother. Can you see the first page here? Rachel's grandmother. Maybe go a little forward, so. Hi there. You better have some tummy bread, sweetheart. Do you want one? Okay. All right. Rachel's grandmother taught her what about how to make heart bread. And Rachel's grandmother said when she was about your age, there was a big war, and people all over the world were fighting. One of the most terrible parts of the war was that children got separated from their mothers and fathers, and that's what happened to Rachel's grandmother. She was alone, and she couldn't find her home, and she wandered around and didn't have anyone to take care of her. And finally, they built special places for us called refugee camps. And in the refugee camp, can you see? They slept in warm beds, and they had good food, and people hugged us and took good care of us, she says Rachel's grandma. Now you hope this. But in our new home, we were still scared. We could not sleep at night. We were afraid when we woke up, everything was going to be gone again, and that we wouldn't have a home, and we wouldn't have any food to eat. 
you can go that way then, and we're going to stretch this out. <laughs> no matter how many times the grown-ups told us that we would be safe and have food, we were still scared. Well, one day, one of the grown-ups had an idea. He took bread from supper, and he gave us each a piece of bread, said Rachel's grandma, and then we could sleep with it, and we knew that Today, we had what we needed, and tomorrow, we were going to have what we needed, too. Today, we ate, and tomorrow, we will eat, too. So do you see how happy she felt holding the bread next to the heart? She could finally sleep in peace. All through the night, the bread reminded the children <clears throat> that I ate today, and I will eat again tomorrow. We could sleep without feeling scared, our tummy bread turned into heart bread. Our heart bread made a scared place in our heart safe. Now, Rachel's grandmother <clears throat> taught Rachel that heart bread is made from the special times in a day when someone gives love and kindness to us or we give love and kindness to someone else. When we remember those times, they fill up our hearts. They fill up our hearts as the tummy bread fills up our tummies. Okay, so you can hold that for them to keep looking at, all right? As I learned how to make heart bread from Rachel's grandma, I make heart bread every night. And I'm gonna tell you how you can do that too. So when mommy or daddy or someone else puts you to bed at night, ask them to help you. Put your hand over your heart and think about the most special things that happened to you that day. Maybe someone loved you. Maybe someone gave you something you needed like a snack or a nice jacket or a big hug. Or maybe you showed somebody else love like you shared a toy with your brother or your sister or maybe you showed love to someone by giving them a hug. That's the ingredients of heart bread. So when you remember those things, you tell mommy or daddy or whoever is putting you to bed those things and ask them to tell you what things made them really happy that day. And you know what? That's how you make heart bread. Now today, we're going to have communion. We're going to eat bread at communion. The bread reminds us that God loves us very much. So when we eat the communion bread, it turns into heart bread and makes our heart feel very warm because God loves us so much. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed your snack. Did you like that? Okay, now let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for giving us tummy bread. <laughs> tummy. And thank you for giving us <clears throat> heart bread. And we pray for Pastor Donna to feel better very soon. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Okay, and you can go with this wonderful Ben, and he will have some fun things for you to do. Yeah. yeah. All right.
Good morning, church. My, my name is Rick McGinnity. Please, join, please rise in whatever ways are meaningful to you for the reading of the scripture. <clears throat> the scripture lesson today is a reading in the gospel according to Luke, chapter 8, verses 40 through 56 in the Common English Bible version. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they had been waiting for him. A man named Jarius, who was a synagogue, synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet. He pleaded with Jesus to come to his house because his only daughter, a 12-year-old, was dying. As Jesus moved forward, he faced smooth, smoothering crowds. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had spent her entire livelihood on doctors, but no one could heal her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the hem of his clothes, and at once the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus said. When everyone denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are surrounding you and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw she couldn't escape notice, she came trembling and fell before Jesus. In front of everyone, she explained why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Daughter, your faith has healed you, Jesus said. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue's leader's house saying to Jarius, your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher any longer. When Jesus heard this, he responded, don't be afraid, just keep trusting. She will be healed. When he came to Jarius' house, he didn't allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. They were all crying and mourning for her. But Jesus said, don't cry. She isn't dead. She's only sleeping. Take, they laughed at him because they knew she was dead. Taking her hand, Jesus called out, child, get up. Her life returned and she got up at once. He directed them to give her something to eat. Her parents were beside themselves with joy, but he ordered them to tell no one what had happened. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Please, please join in singing the hymn of preparation.
So, uh, as I was already introduced, my name is Curtis White. I currently serve as a Presbyterian church. I'm a Presbyterian minister. I hope that's okay. Um, <laughs> but I serve at a church in Macon, Georgia, St. Andrew's Presbyterian down there in middle Georgia. Uh, though I grew up in this area and lived most of my life in this area, my parents and family are still here. Um, but I've, yeah, I've been in Georgia for the last four years with my wife and two children. And I'm thankful this morning for Reverend uh, Pritchard's invitation, though I'm sad she can't be here with us, um, but we do pray that she'll recover, and mostly just to find some peace. We know she'll recover, but when you're sick and have a fever, it's awful. Also thankful, though, uh, that Reverend Fowler's here to assist this morning. So, oh, and I'm also uh, Lucinda White's son, so if you know her. All right. For most of my time studying the scriptures, studying the gospels, especially in seminary, I have had a fascination with the stories of Jesus's interaction with women in the gospels. These stories are fascinating for two reasons. One is their very existence. I, you probably are aware of this, but in the first century, Women were not always um, regarded as highly or as well as they should have been. Women were relegated to a second-class citizen status. They were often viewed as property rather than people in their own right. And so the fact that the Gospels contain so many stories of Jesus interacting with women in a variety of ways is in itself fascinating. But what's more fascinating is that in all of these stories, save except maybe one, so in all of these stories, with maybe one exception, in all of these stories, women are exemplars of faith. Women are never rebuked by Jesus, as men often are in the gospel stories. Women instead are always elevated, always lifted up, always pointed to as be like that. And that's fascinating. It's fascinating that men of the first century would write stories like that. It makes me think they must be linked to a historical reality. But it's fascinating. Women are exemplars of faith in the Gospels. And in fact, if you wanted to create a profile of what a disciple should look like from the Gospels, you could just use all the stories about women. This is one such story. Jesus has just returned from across the sea and he's been doing some weird stuff over there. But he's come back to Judea and he lands on the shore and the people are there and they rush him because a leader of the synagogue, Jairus, has come out and he's be, he says, my daughter is sick, I need you to come. And so Jesus is being rushed to the side of this girl who is in desperate need of him. But as he's being rushed and as he's being smothered by crowds, an unnamed woman approaches Jesus. I regret that she's unnamed though I think there's lots of reasons that she is unnamed, but it's too bad we don't know her name. Regardless though, this woman comes to Jesus, grabs the hem of his cloak, and finds she is healed. 
Jesus seems to have noticed that this has taken place, even though she did it secretly. And so he stops everyone and says, hey, who touched me? The disciples are understandably annoyed with Jesus because he's literally being crushed or smothered by the crowd. They say, who, what do you mean? He says, power has gone from me. He's felt this transfer of power. He's felt divine power move from him into another place. Not a, not a depleting, but just a movement. And we might assume, reading this story, if we were reading it for the first time, that when Jesus said, hey, who, who just had a miracle done for them? This is like a Pentecostal rally, right? You'd expect the person to jump up and say, me, I was healed. But instead, the woman is terrified, terrified that she's been found out. Why? Shouldn't this just be a wonderful story? But instead, she comes before Jesus trembling. Why is she afraid? So, obviously, there's a social, religious, and historical context that frames this story. And part of that context is that we have to understand who this woman is. It says in the text that she had suffered for 12 years from a flow of blood. That's the same sort of language that we see in the Old Testament used for women who are menstruating. She, and there are many, many reasons why uh, a person can be hemorrhaging like that continuously for 12 years. There's multiple medical reasons. Fistula has been suggested by some scholars, but we don't really know why. There's viral infections. There's all kinds of reasons. The point is this. The language indicates to us that this woman is in a state called nida, which in Hebrew was the state of ritual uncleanliness that women occupied when they were uh, menstruating. Now, obviously, that's, we don't think that way these days, and that probably wasn't one of the best laws in the Old Testament, but there it is. It is nevertheless a part of the social and religious context of this passage. This woman is nada, perpetually, and therefore she is perpetually, ritualistically unclean and socially ostracized. She cannot enter the town. She, she should not be in the crowd. She should not be touching people because to touch them, anything she touches, in fact, becomes unclean. She is unclean by the social standards. And so she, in coming into this crowd, and especially in touching Jesus, has violated a major religious and social taboo. She has done something that would be considered very, very wrong. More than that, you have to understand how holiness worked in the first century Jewish mind. Holiness is something that can be gained or lost. So holiness, there can be objects, and of course God's presence produces holiness. And when an object comes into a space of holiness, it can be made holy or clean. But in the same sense, that holy object, that holy person who is clean, they can be defiled and the holiness is lost. Or, Reversely, 
as is the case with Aaron's sons in the book of Exodus, if uncleanness comes into the presence of a very powerful source of holiness, like God's self, then the unholy thing is obliterated, is destroyed. And so the woman who comes in a state of uncleanness must already have been very nervous, for if the crowd discovers she's there, she could be severely punished. More so, if she believes that Jesus is a holy man, it might have crossed her mind, and it might be meant to cross the mind of the readers of this gospel narrative, that by touching his cloak, her uncleanliness is either going to pass to Jesus and render him unclean or steal something from him, or inversely, maybe we might wonder, is this woman going to drop dead when she touches the Lord? And yet, of course, neither thing takes place. This woman who has been suffering both physical, social, and religiously, who has been cut off from people, and more importantly, cut off from access to God, declared by the religious elite of her day that she is religiously unworthy and has no right to access to divine power, this woman, when she touches Jesus, instead of making Jesus unclean or instead of being burned up, power does pass. Power passes from Christ into her. She has absolute access to divine presence and power, and it heals her, as we would expect it to. And I don't think that in this scene, the idea is that Luke or Jesus are trying to redefine God, saying, oh, no, 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 God's changed. God's different now. It's not a redefinition of God. It is just that Jesus reveals God fully. Jesus might, however, redefine our expectations or understandings of God. And certainly in this scene, Jesus redefines his own religious contemporaries' understanding of God. And so, as the woman touches Jesus, instead of Jesus being tainted, and instead of her bursting into flame, she who even herself seems uneasy with what she is doing is filled with divine power and is which? Healed or saved? Different translations will say different things. Turns out it's the same word in Greek, sozo. It is restored. And it means it in the most holistic sense. It's what the Christians, the early Christians used to talk about salvation. And before that, it was a medical term for coming back from the brink of death. Sozo. She is heel saved. In all of that, Luke highlights this woman as an exemplar of faith. In fact, Jesus even celebrates her faith. He says, it's your faith that has saved, healed you. It is her faith that caused her to seek access to divine power and presence, 
even when her social and religious context tried to tell her that she was one who was unworthy or ineligible of this access. This woman in Luke becomes for us an exemplar of faith, a kind of faith that risks the presence of God and is willing to cross boundaries that have been set by the religious elite. A kind of faith that takes courage to say to those who should know, I think actually God does accept me even as I am. And of course, it, her faith is rewarded. Friends, we are called upon by the gospel and as believers to copy this woman's faith. We copy it by trusting that no matter who has told us we are unworthy, unwanted or unloved, they are wrong. God and access to God is for anyone who wants it. Jesus as the embodiment of God shows us this. Even if we approach God in the so-called wrong way, even if we worship wrong or believe wrong or have done wrong things or are wrong in our personhood as others would classify us, that is wrong. They are wrong. God is right there for each one of us, eager to be present with us and share with us divine power. This woman ultimately is an example of a faith that trusts God is better than even the church has described God to be, that God is bigger and more loving than even our words and our songs and our scriptures can express. It is a faith that shows there is no status of any person that can cut them off from the love and welcome of our God. And this good news of universal welcome is one that the church is called to share and to live out. So friends, let us be encouraged by the faith of our mother, a faith that shows us there is no one who God has not accepted as God's own beloved child. Amen.
Let us offer our prayers unto God. Grant, Almighty God, that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. Guide the people of this land and of all the nations in the ways of justice and peace, that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Give us all a reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others and to your honor and glory. And bless all whose lives are closely linked with ours and grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as he loves us. Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. We especially pray for healing and strength this morning for Pastor Donna, Floyd Barker, Steve Trott, Laura Siebens, Fran Smith, Fred Triggs, Bob Dixon, Cheryl Kirshner, Judson Samuel, Janet Rowe, and June Wright, and for all our family and friends who are dear to our hearts, who are in need of your healing presence. And finally, we commend to your mercy all who have died, that your will for them may be fulfilled and we pray that we may share with all your saints in your eternal kingdom. Especially pray this morning for Kelly McCarty as she mourns the loss of her mother. And we pray for all of those who have died in Lahaina, Maui, and for their families as they grieve this great loss. And on this Labor Day weekend, I would like to conclude with a prayer for Labor Day. Almighty God, you have so linked our lives one with another that all we do affects for good or ill all other lives. So guide us in the work we do that we may do it not for self alone, but for the common good. And as we seek a proper return for our own labor, make us mindful of the rightful aspirations of other workers and arouse our concern for those who are out of work. We ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us then now offer together the prayer our Savior Christ has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily sin, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from this time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.
I invite us into a time of giving. The offering plate is passed in the sanctuary, and I encourage you to be as generous as God is with us. If you're online, you may give two ways. By using the link button at the top right corner via email. In order to give online, please go to edmundsumc.org slash GIV dot, well, I guess not a dot. <laughs> I'm just reading. Anyway, in order to give via mail, please send checks to 828 Casper Street, Edmonds, Washington, 98020. Thank you.
Lord, take these gifts and offerings and use them for your kingdom's sake. More so, take the offering of our very lives and use us to serve and bless the world. Amen. So friends, now we come to the table of the Lord, to our time of communion together. And so as a beginning, let us remember that this table isn't a, a Methodist table. It isn't an American table. It certainly isn't my table. This is the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as the host of this feast, Jesus alone may say who is and who is not welcome at this table, and Jesus welcomes all. So I invite all who are willing to be in communion with our Lord Jesus Christ to partake of this feast. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to God. It is right to give God thanks and praise always and everywhere. As we gather around this table today, we remember the laborers in the field, the growers and the harvesters of wheat and grapes, the transporters of their yield, and those who transform wheat into bread and grapes into juice. And feet as they labor at farms and gardens, in trucks and warehouses and stores. We give thanks for the ones who have prepared the table here today. May their gifts of preparation and hospitality inspire us to extend hospitality to the strangers among us. For the gift of labor which sustains us body and soul, we give you thanks and lift to you the song of the church in all the world. Holy, 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 holy God, God of power and might, heaven, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We gather at this table remembering how Jesus labored on the streets of Jerusalem, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. We remember how he joined his friends in an upper room the very night of his betrayal. How he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it heartfully expressing to his friends that this was the bread of life. As you eat this bread, remember me. After supper, Jesus took the cup of wine, the cup filled with the gifts of the vine. And as he blessed it, he reminded his friends, whenever you drink of this cup, remember me. Spirit of wisdom and of wonder, wind around these elements today. May they stir us from stagnation into actively loving God, our neighbors, and ourselves. 
May our feasting at this table transform us into the people God intends. Send your power upon these gifts that in the bread we experience God's love and in the cup we receive the grace that pours from God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We invite you to come forward to receive the bread, and this is the juice that is given for you. To receive the bread, you can simply place your hands to the server and they will place the bread in your hand. And then if you wish to uh, take the cup, you can go and dip your bread carefully in the cup and return to your seat. There is gluten-free bread here as well. Um, so feel free to request that. Let us now with gladness present our lives to the Lord and come before him to receive his life for us. All indeed are welcome.
Having been fed with the bread of life, let us offer our prayer of thanksgiving together. For the bread broken, for the cup poured out, we give you thanks, O God. For the grace received and for the love shared, we give you thanks, O God. This time, Dave has an announcement, and then we have a couple more announcements. Most of them are invitations to various things. Uh, so many invitations, it's hard to imagine you wouldn't want to say yes to a couple of them, uh, but I'll let you read through those. But one that's not in the bulletin is that because Pastor Donna is ill today, our evening service, our foundry service tonight will not be happening, we'll be canceling that. So if you or someone you know enjoys attending that service, if you'd please spread the word amongst each other, uh, so that people aren't showing up for that uh, and finding the church locked uh, instead of open for that service. So we won't have our foundry service this evening. Otherwise, I'll invite you to find the announcements in the bulletin as they're printed um, and in your e-news, uh, in your emails. And with that, please rise and uh, body your spirit for our closing hymn.
be seated. Before we leave, Diane has some announcements that wanted to make sure we got in. <laughs> if, we can, if we can get those on the screen, do you have those? Oh, okay. Um, two wonderful things coming up. This Friday night, we're returning to our uh, potluck and game nights. This is intergenerational, lots of fun. Bring um, a potluck dish to share and a game you love to play. That's here in the Wesley Room. Setup is at 5.30. We start eating at 6. And the other one, oh, there it is. And the other one is uh, our wonderful chili cook-off, which is coming up. Uh, and also potluck dessert. So you can do both or you can do one, but bring something because it will just add to the festivities. And it's our annual homecoming Sunday where we welcome everybody back and our programs start. The choir will be back and it will just be a lot of fun. So this is a great time for our church to celebrate, to come together, meet new people who've come over the summer, and share in good food. Oh, and if you want to sign up to bring chili, out on the welcome table is a sign-up sheet, and you'll get further instructions on what to do with your chili. Thank you. Leave this place with this blessing. May you go from here knowing the love of God, our Creator, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, our Sustainer. Amen. <laughs>